You guys have your Bibles this evening. Turn to Psalm chapter 46. As we look at a study tonight, I entitled All Things New. I was reflecting on how awesome God has been this year. You know, I think there's times when we can be so so focused on what we don't have and what's wrong in our lives that we forget all the blessings that God has given us. Looking back, I, I could see the hand of God throughout this whole year of just blessings. Blessings in my life, blessings in this church, blessings in my friends' lives. And I rejoiced. I rejoiced over it. But I cannot deny that it's met with a gruesome truth that we are still living on an earth that is broken and must be healed by God himself. We still live in a world full of suffering and of, of pain and of disease and sickness and death. But I'm reminded that God is our refuge. I'm reminded that he makes all things new. In tonight's chapter of Psalm 46, the psalmist who wrote this, he was writing this for music purposes. He was writing this as a song of worship, of shouting how God as a conqueror of the nations and the strength of the Israelites. And this was actually written for the, the worship leaders to sing, specifically, interestingly enough, for the high singing soprano voices, uh, the, the females as part of this choir. We learned that from the intro of, of Psalm 46. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song of Alamoth. Now these sons of Korah, they were the worship leaders, and you would see as a biblical practice that the worship leaders would actually go before the soldiers in battle. Trumpets and drums and sounding off their war cry. Now these in particular... A song for Alamoth literally means for that soprano type voice, that female voice for the girls to, to sing out in triumph. And it's quite interesting when you look at the history of it. But we begin tonight with the first of three parts of this psalm. In Psalm 46, beginning with verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. You see, so many of us have looked to idols in our life for strength. We've looked to the gym in our life for strength, and all the gyms were closed this year. You had to go work out outside or find time to get it in there, and you realize, man, we are flawed and weak human beings 
that this flesh that we as much as you try to build up those muscles and and get them looking nice eventually everything begins to just get old and hang and this is the the human condition it's quite funny huh but when we realize that it's not by power not by might but by the spirit of god that things get completed in his order and his methods then we just trust him instead of striving and pulling our hair out and trying to make things work out in our life we can submit to the lord remember what jesus told his disciples take my yoke upon you that yoke was a instrument used for oxen and cattle that would keep them guided on a straight path as they worked in the harvest fields. And Jesus would tell his disciples to put my yoke upon you, for he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, to follow Christ, yes, there is sacrifice. There, there is hardship. But when you are abiding in Christ, following the will of God, he brings joy, peace, love. And these things cannot be taken by this world and removed. They can be if you're getting your eyes off of Christ and putting them on the world. And yes, absolutely. But when we abide in Christ, God is our refuge, someone we can rely on and our strength. I think I said this perhaps this past Sunday, but I remember a conversation I once had with one of my good friends in high school. And I, I wasn't a, a believer at the time, but I still, even then as a non-believer, knew that as human beings, we were supposed to rely on God. And he brought up the fact, he said, well, religion and Christianity, they just use God as a crutch, you know, something to lean on. And I remember looking at my friend and saying, well, yeah, but it's supposed to be that way. And this is me saying this as a non-believer, saying, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to lean on God. Because God is all-powerful. And notice at the end of verse 1, he says, a very present help in trouble, not something far away in the future that we cannot attain to, but today. Today is the day of salvation. It says, therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, I love how we were singing that song, Your Perfect Love is Casting Out Fear. Because perfect love does cast out fear. And what does fear involve? Fear involves torment. So when we are having attacks of fear in our life, allow Jesus, allow his love to overpower the fear, to push it back, 
to stop it? Are there things in our life that we are afraid of today that we're worried about constantly trying to plan and think through of how we're going to fix this? Allow the love of of Christ to overtake that situation in your life. You see, you, you can't control every outcome. We have responsibilities and certain things God gives us free will over to, to be responsible for. The Bible teaches us that a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. The Bible teaches us that a man would cast the lots, but every lot is determined by the Lord. And that lot, that's like, like dice. So we don't need to be afraid when we have God as our refuge. It's referring to though the earth is removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, that's the end of the world right there. That's destruction. And perhaps what we're seeing now is the beginning stages of that in this world today. Pestilence, wars, rumors of wars, neighbor turning against neighbor, families being divided. This is the beginning of what they call the birth pangs. And like a woman who is having labor and contractions, they get bigger and more intense and more frequent. That same way, the world itself will have these birth pangs of trials and tribulations placed upon it. The psalmist, as he's writing here in this first portion, he's referring to all the trials in life that the Israelites are facing. In verse 3, it says, Though its waters roar, And be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. So now he's in it. As he's writing, he's saying, now this is the storm. The waters roaring and are troubled. The mountains shaking with the swelling of the earth. All of the life that they know being torn apart. And he ends it with this phrase, Salah. Salah, the Hebrew for that, it means pause. And this pause, it was meant for a time of meditation, for a time of rest, a time of reflection on what was just said. So the psalmist here, he realizes that there are things in this world that are shaking up, that are things that can cause a person to be fearful of. So at the beginning, what does he remember? Verse one, God is our refuge and strength. When we pray, we should pray asking God our Father right off the top, thanking him for who he is, for what he does. Because when you get the proper perspective of who God is in your life, then you realize that what you're about to pray for, it's not hard for him at all. In the second stanza of this awesome song that this psalmist wrote, 
with verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The river. What's he referring to here? In my Bible, I have this verse underlined with a, a green pen. And the green, I have different colors uh, for different meanings. Whenever I see a green pen underline, it tells me that this is speaking of something that's prophetic. Something that we find that has not yet taken place. And we actually find this in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 speaks of all things being made new. In Revelation 21, it says, Now I say a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is when all things are made new, when God makes a new heaven and a new earth. And then at the end of Revelation chapter 22, it talks about the river of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. You see, this psalmist is prophesying of this river. He's prophesying of the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to have for us. You see, when we die today as believers, immediately we are placed there beside God himself in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then that's not all though. Once God shows us, he reveals himself to us there in heaven And there's going to be this awesome worship ceremony. There's going to come a time when there's going to be a marriage supper of a lamb. The bride of Christ then will be reunited or united, I should say, with God. That is the church. The bride of Christ is symbolic of the church. The church can be taken and met with Jesus now when he seems to when he deems it time. Now, we look forward to that. You see, once we're in heaven, there's going to be a time even after that 
when we're going to come back to this world and Jesus is going to reign as king over this world. And we look forward to this time where there's no more suffering, no more pain. The psalmist continues to refer to this. He says in verse five, or at the end of the verse four, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You see, God, as we just read in the book of Revelation, he himself is going to be the most awesome and beautiful experience that we have in heaven. People are like, oh, like, well, what's so cool about being in heaven? Uh, like, why aren't you going to get, like, bored of being up there just, you know, on your little harp? And that's, they have a completely terrible view and idea of what heaven is. You see, because God is infinite. And because he is infinite, that means that he is all wisdom, all knowledge, all love. And we as finite beings in heaven will continue to learn for him for eternity. We will continue to grow in his love for eternity. We'll continue to grow to become more like him even in eternity. And yet without sin, we won't have that problem anymore. We won't have that pain anymore. Now, that truth that we have faith in, that God is the most awesome experience physically, spiritually, emotionally, that we're going to have in heaven, Jesus himself, you can take that truth and apply it to your life today. That Jesus is the most awesome experience that you can have now, working in your heart tonight. Removing fear, removing suffering, removing sin. Bringing in faith and hope and love. God could be in the midst of you. As a believer, you can have the Holy Spirit enter your life and overflow you. That overcoming experience, that upon experience where the Holy Spirit moves in you and then moves out of you through others as you are used by God. Notice at the end of verse 5 that it says that God shall help her just at the break of dawn. See, sometimes things get really dark before the light comes up. We see that in our natural world. Sometimes it seems like all hope is lost. But what does the Bible teach? God allows us to sometimes get to that point in our life, that place in our life, where we give up trying all of our own methods so that he can finally move in and have his own method. God allows trials because trials build us up. 
trials make us stronger. We constantly see throughout history, whenever the church was persecuted, Christians and believers grew strong spiritually. And when the church prospered, we see a compromise begin to start in the church. We see a a turning away from holiness. Compromise. There's a, a great book called The Integrity Crisis by Warren Wiersbe that really encourages leaders to be men and women of integrity. I recommend picking up that book. Warren Wiersbe is a great author, pastor, uh, who did a lot of commentary on the Bible, The Integrity Crisis. Check that one out. So the psalmist continues now. He says in verse 6, The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You see what I see here is finality. I see that one day this world, it's going to burn. Just, uh, I remember I went recently, um, or sometime back with uh, my friend surfing. And we went out there and I got my little GoPro and I was letting him hold it. And we go, we're paddling, paddling, paddling. And uh, the waves are coming. It's a fun day. And uh, I go on a wave. I come up and I look at my friend as he has my GoPro. And uh, I look at him and I suddenly see his face. He just has this look of fear kind of staring at me. And I'm like, what's wrong? And, he, and I'm like, I knew. I'm like, did you drop the GoPro? And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'll get you a new GoPro. And I was like, hey, don't even worry about it. Like, it's all going to burn. And he was kind of like, huh? Like, what? Like, he didn't quite catch the phrase at the moment. And then later on when we went in, I was like, oh, like, hey, like, don't. He, he ended up actually replacing it. But I told him, I was like, hey, like, I, I wasn't tripping out on it. Um. I realized in that moment that God was showing me like, hey, like, it's all going to burn. And I was able to explain to him like what my view as a, as a believer was, that one day God is going to destroy and then recreate. That this world will go through seven years of tribulation where just chaos will destroy the earth as we know it. The hearts of men, some will turn away from God and the Israelites eventually will come to realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And then the Bible teaches that the sky is going to roll back like a scroll. And the trumpets are going to sound and Christ will return to earth. So though all this chaos is is happening, the nation's raging, and they're raging against the Lord, the kingdom's being moved, God speaks, and the earth is melted. 
the Lord of hosts, in verse 7, that's a, a phrase that's used for the God of the armies. Whenever you see L-O-R-D all capitalized, like it is in verse 7, L-O-R-D all caps lock, that is Jehovah. You see, Jehovah is the all-becoming. It's Yahweh. Jehovah of hosts, this is the God of the armies. You see, God has his armies up in heaven. And here on earth, he uses them. That's why sometimes I pray, I say, God, just send your angels before us tonight. Because who knows what type of spiritual warfare is going on. I'm sure if we were able to see, we'd be freaked out like we were watching some sort of sci-fi, crazy horror movie. He says, the God of Jacob is our refuge. When he thinks of the God of Jacob, he remembers the man who wrestled with God, Jacob. The man who was a dirty, sneaky thief who stole his brother's birthright, the man who lied to his father and pretended to be his brother, Jacob, the manipulator. But what happened with Jacob? In a time of trouble when he was scared for his life from his brother, the angel of the Lord met him at night and Jacob wrestled with the Lord. And they were in this jujitsu wrestling match. And the Lord saw that Jacob was not going to let him go. So in order that he would humble Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip. He wounded him. And then Jacob began to plead in tears saying, bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. And the Lord saw that Jacob was humbled. So he did bless him. He said, what's your name? And Jacob, he says, my, my name is Jacob. And the Lord told him, no longer are you going to be called Jacob. No longer are you going to be called the dirty, sneaky thief. For now on, your name is going to be Israel. Israel means governed by God. Israel means someone who wrestles with God alongside with God and is victorious. The psalmist reminds himself that God was the God of a man who was something terrible and God broke him and make, made him something that he can use. This is our God who comes into our life that it's broken and full of sin and then he allows us to be broken so that he can be our refuge, so that he can be our strength. Salah. Meditate on that. Think about it. And the psalmist continues in verse 8. He said, Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes Wars cease 
to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. You see, there's no one, nothing that can stop God. Whatever God deems worthy to be done on this earth is going to be done. So if God is for you, who can be against you? Whom shall we fear? Whom shall we be afraid? One day, they're going to turn all the weapons that we have on this earth. The Bible teaches us that we're going to use it in the future for agriculture when God makes a new earth. Think about that. Wars will end. When he burns the chariots in fire, I'm I'm reminded of the prophet Elijah. When God called him to be taken from this world into heaven, the chariots of fire came. And how awesome was that? That God took Elijah. Elijah never saw death, but was taken into heaven. I believe it's a foreshadowing of what God is going to do with his church. The same way Elijah never tasted death, there's going to be a generation that will not taste death. For the Lord will return. I believe that we are that generation. I believe that when we look at knowledge of man, when we look at current affairs with Israel, the Middle East, the stage, the the chessboard, so to speak, is getting ready for this final countdown. So what are we to do if we are living in these last days? Does that mean, okay, well, then we just need to get ready for, to meet, meet the Lord and then we're good and just, you know, stay inside, don't go out and uh, just go into the mountains and be on retreats 24-7 and don't plan and don't invest because, you know, Jesus is coming back. I don't think that's what Jesus intended. I think God always wanted us to be ready. But I also believe that he had a mission for us here now to complete. Where we don't just say, well, I have my salvation, so I'm good. I believe Jesus, I know, not believe, well, yeah, I do believe, that Jesus wants us to spread that gospel. I believe that sometimes we rely too much on the idea that our lifestyle is going to be all the gospel that other people need to see. I believe that there should be action and words taking place. No, I fully believe that, you know, you don't need to slap people upside the head with your Bible and that you should ask God to open doors rather than you forcing them open. But how are people going to hear if 
someone is not sent? How are people going to know if you don't speak up? And if you're not going to do it, who will? May we be men and women who have the armor of God, the part of it that is the gospel of peace, walking forward in the truth of the gospel. Now, in verse 10, after all this destruction, after all the psalmist is referring to the trials that Israel had experienced, the hope of the heavenly realm coming one day. He says this in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. You see, sometimes we get so busy. Sometimes we use ministry as the foundation of a relationship with God. Sometimes we use works as the foundation of our relationship with God. But that's not so. You see, works and ministry, those are products of the relationship with God. Those are the after effect, the consequences of a relationship with God is works and service. But a true, genuine relationship with God, what does it take to have a relationship? A, you need to have communication, right? There needs to be fellowship. A selfless love. In that same way that you would have a a relationship with a human being, you would have those aspects with God the Father. Are we spending time communicating with Him? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we spending time in selflessness towards Him? Are we motivated by our own selfish desires? Or do we take into account that He is God Almighty? You see, sometimes we just use God as like a vending machine. We come to him when it's useful to us. My own personal life, I know there was, when I became a Christian, a long season of of me just asking God to, to make my life better, more successful, the Tony Robbins idea of what a successful life was. I would pray, God, give me uh, a a new life because my life as a a drug addict wasn't working out and God did that and it's awesome. and There is a time and place for it. And then I began to ask God, give me uh, a, a goal, give me a ministry. And I was like, awesome, cool. God, give me a, a, a calling. Give me gifts, spiritual gifts. And I noticed that God was giving me what I was praying for. And then finally, one day, I felt the Holy Spirit through the word speak to me and just tell me, God, Sal, when are you going to come to me for me? 
When are you going to come to me before me? Because I deserve you. I've redeemed you. I've bought you. And all of a sudden, all the busyness stops. And I learn to be still. To know that he is God. See, God doesn't need me. But he desires to have me. God doesn't need you to save the world. He doesn't need the Avengers to have his will be performed here on earth. But God wants to have a relationship with you. And sometimes he tells us to be still. There is a dangerous immaturity in a young believer's life where they begin to get so busy with so many different areas of ministry and perhaps they're even talented and gifted in all these different areas and artistry and music and, and, and administration and all these different gifts. But because of this, they spread themselves out then and they're not really beginning to have God lead them, but instead they're just kind of a mess. Not following that, that one awesome calling that God has for them. Now there are some people who definitely are talented in many areas, but is God really calling you to all those different areas? You see, that's where discernment comes in. That's when we need to ask God to show us, are there things in our life that are causing us to have anxiety, to become fearful? And are those things perhaps not supposed to be there? Maybe they're even good things that aren't supposed to be there simply because God hasn't called us to them. So how do we know? We ask God for discernment. We ask Jesus to give us that discernment of what we need to put aside and what to focus on. And ultimately, to know that he is God. When you study God and his attributes, you learn more about him. Tozer, another uh, pastor and Bible theologian, said that what a man thinks about God is the most important thing about him. He said this because our view of God, it's going to shape our whole lifestyle. If we think that God is a, a monkey on the side of the mountain that is golden, then we're going to live a certain way. If we think that God is cruel and a bully, then we're going to live a certain way. But if we know and believe that God is all good, all loving, all powerful, timeless, infinite, then we're going to walk and live a certain way. God says, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes that's so hard for us because we're impatient. Sometimes we're like, no, we want to move forward. Even in, in the good things in life, ministry, relationships, adventures, calling, and we want to jump in it and we say, God, just open this door. I want to do it. I want to go. I want to go. And then sometimes we try to kick that door down that God hasn't opened. 
Sometimes God convicts us when we're striving against him. He says, be still and know that I am God. You see, when we finally submit to God, peace comes back. When we finally say, okay, God, let's do it your way. Joy, fulfillment, that purpose-filled life of what we're supposed to be doing will enter into our hearts or minds. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, God is on the throne. Not us. And in every heart, there is a throne. Who's on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is it a person? Is it a a pursuit? Or is it you? Or is it God? One day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes I love thinking about that verse when I see so many people who are anti-Christ. And I see so many people who are contrary to God and his word, who hate God. And it gets me angry inside. And I, I remind myself of that verse that one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is God. And I realize there is going to be a day of retribution. There will be a day of redemption. And it's not my battle to fight for somebody else. Not like that. God will be exalted. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Salah. Notice how he he repeats verse 7 and verse 11. Again, it's the chorus of this song. He wanted us to be reminded of. You see, if God's telling you something two times, it's because he wants to get your attention on it. God is with us. We just celebrated Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God is our refuge. You see, I'm reminded in these three portions of this that the psalmist is writing is he realizes, yeah, there's trials in this world. He realizes that there is hope for a future. But more importantly, the chorus of the song, he realizes that God is his refuge. To know God, to be still, and to know God then is the command. That is something that we take away with. What do we do? Trust the Lord. Know who he is. Wait upon him. Abide in him. The same way that the glory of God was watching over the Israelites, the Shekinah glory, a cloud by day to protect them from the hot sun and a pillar of fire by night to guide them in the darkness. 
And the Bible teaches us in Numbers 9, verse 22, that whenever the cloud began to move, the Israelites would follow it. And when the cloud stayed there, whether it be for two days, two months, or two years, however long it was, the Israelites remained there. So abide in Christ. Know that he can make what has been terrible brand new. He has that ability to do so. And then sometimes in order so that God can make something awesome and beautiful, he needs to first tear it down so it can be remade. But God makes all things new. And it came at a cost. It came at the cost of his son, his son, Jesus. You know, there's a scene in The Passion of the Christ that I love the way uh, how Gibson directed this one particular scene as Jesus is carrying his cross through that road to Calvary. And after he's been beaten by the whips, punched in the face, bloodied, he's carrying his cross up this road, this street. Suddenly he gets to a point where the cross is so heavy for him to bear. He's being weakened and he falls to the floor. And when he falls, his mother happens to see, meet eyes with him. And she runs to him and she remembers as she's running to him the times that he fell as a little boy, the way she would run to him. She grabs Jesus, she grabs the Savior, clings to him, blood getting on her cloth and he looks up at her and he says, see mother, I make all things new. And that part gets me every time I watch it. It's like that was the process that God chose, that Jesus was using to make us new was his death. And it's beautiful. And when we realize how much he loved us, what can we do but worship? So as we enter into this new year, may we enter in a spirit of faith over fear, of love over anxiety, of strength in the Lord, of newness with him every day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us, Lord God, just this year to learn from you. I pray, Father, for many more until you see fit to return for your church. Father, if there's anyone out there tonight who is listening and hasn't been still and doesn't know you and wants to know you, if you're out there tonight and you're listening to this and you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want God as your refuge, you want to turn away from sin, you want to leave that behind and follow after God, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, 
I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I ask for Jesus to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new life. May I know you. I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. If you want to get in touch with us, go ahead and send us a message. Send me a text message. Uh, a message over Facebook, over YouTube. We would love to pray with you and talk with you. But here's to 2021. Here's to 2020 that God has blessed us. And we thank him and praise him. One more song. love is casting out fear every fear that I face will be silenced here your perfect love is casting out fear every fear that I face will be silenced here you Sanctuary, I will run to you and I won't grow weary. You are my sanctuary, I will run to you and I won't grow weary. Your perfect love is casting out fear Every fear that I face will be silenced here Your perfect love is casting out fear Every fear that I face will be silenced We'll see you guys Sunday morning. Communion service. We're going to have a time of worship and a prayer. We hope to see you Sunday morning in my backyard. Love you guys. God bless.